Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Let's go ahead and dive into Psalm 79. Please stand with me out of respect for the Bible. Psalm 79 in verse 1. Oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky, the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. How long, Lord? How long will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. Do not hold against us the sins of past generations, but may your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name, Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. May the groans of the prisoners come before you and with your strong arm preserve those condemned to die. Pay back into the laps of our neighbors seven times the contempt they have hurled at you, Lord. Then, then, we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, I pray today for our congregation. And Lord, as we talk about this matter of fairness and how we react when life doesn't seem fair, I pray that you would help every word that is said to be helpful, not unhelpful, but helpful, that it would build up, it would edify your church. And Father, I pray for our congregation, for men and women and students and children who may struggle with this. Lord, I really believe we all do at some point in time. Help me to equip and arm the people of God, your people, to go out into this world this week and to fight the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Life isn't fair. Like this picture, life doesn't always seem fair. It seems as though there are times when somebody gets the bigger piece of the cake or the bigger piece of the pie, and it goes against everything inside of us. I believe that from the Garden of Eden, we've been wired for fairness. That's why when we put a dollar in the Coke machine, we expect a Coke to come out. That's why when we work hard at work, that we expect to get the promotion. That's why when we treat others with kindness, we expect them to return the favor. But as you know, that's not often how life works. Sometimes you put a dollar in the Coke machine and it gets jammed. Sometimes you work hard at work and somebody else gets the promotion. Sometimes you're kind to the people you work with or the people you live with, but there's still a jerk down the hall 
that you've got to deal with day in and day out. Sociologists tell us that the reason for this feeling of unfairness goes back to two roots. It's either something that we lost or something that we lust. Something that we lost or something that we lust. Think about it with me for a minute. Maybe you had something, you had a possession, you had a person, uh, you had a position, you had an idea, but you no longer have that. And so there's this sense that life hasn't been fair to you because of something that you have lost. Or maybe it's something that you lust. It's something that you've never had, but you've always wanted. But because it always seems to be out of your reach, you feel as though life isn't fair. I want to invite you in the next few minutes to really search your soul. And it can be a dangerous thing because I did this week. What is it in your heart that causes you or even tempts you to feel as though life isn't fair? Maybe for you, a close friend or family member took advantage of your generosity and you feel like it's not fair. You expected to be much farther along financially than where you are right now and you feel that life hasn't been fair. Someone less qualified than you got the job, but you're still employed. Or they got the promotion and you're still in the same cubicle and you feel like it's not fair. Maybe you're too young to retire, but you're too old for many of the jobs available and it's not fair. Maybe Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright hasn't yet come along. Or maybe you thought they came along, but they never returned your call and it doesn't feel fair. Maybe mom or dad didn't leave you an equal share in the inheritance. Maybe you don't like your body shape or your body size or the color of your eyes or the color of your skin or some birth defect and it doesn't feel fair. Maybe you wish you had a close friend or you used to have a close friend and you no longer do for whatever reason. Maybe you're a single mom of little kids and you've had to work two part-time jobs while their father parties and spends the child's support and it doesn't feel fair. Maybe you do most of the work at home while your partner plays video games or eats bonbons and it doesn't feel fair. Or something much more serious, maybe a loved one perhaps was hit by a drunk driver and he or she walked away completely scot-free without a scratch and you'll live with the pain of your loved one's loss forever. Maybe you lost a child prematurely, a grandchild prematurely, or, or maybe you lost a parent prematurely. They, they were supposed to live long with you and, and see you raise your children and, and their grandchildren, but now they're gone. Or maybe the cancer has come back and it just doesn't feel fair. This morning's message is for us. It's for the people of God. It's, it's for Christians. If you're not a Christian, I'll, I'll give you a word of encouragement in a few minutes, but how can we, the people of God, respond when life doesn't feel fair? The next few minutes, I'm gonna give you five ways to respond when that happens. If you're taking notes, number one, what can we do? Well, according to the psalmist, take an honest assessment of your pain. Number one, take an honest assessment of your pain. In order to fully appreciate this psalm, it's important to understand the historical context. It, it took place at least 500 years before Jesus, most likely uh, 586 BC. The author of this psalm was either Asaph or he was of the family, most likely of the family of Asaph, a descendant from one of the worship leaders during the days of David. And this author is describing the, the invasion, the devastation of his homeland. 
He was from southern Israel, we call Judah. He was from the city of Jerusalem, and his homeland, his home city had been ransacked by Babylon, an empire that used to be where, what is now Iraq. And in the first four verses of Psalm 79 that we're about to read, the, the author does sugarcoat his pain, but he gets very honest. He takes an honest assessment of his pain. I like to describe Psalm 79 this way. It's a lot like a person after a house fire when they're standing and assessing all the damage. And, and if you've been through that or you know somebody who's been through that, I hear it's awful. You look around and you say, that's where the kitchen used to be and, and that's where the kids' rooms used to be and those are what's left of the kids' toys. It's awful. And so that's what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 79. He's assessing the damage as he looks at what's happened to his home town. Notice what he says in verse one. Oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky, the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. To get an understanding of how the psalmist, how the author felt, let's put it in American context. Let's just imagine for a moment, and God forbid this ever happens, but let's just imagine that somehow North Korea was more powerful than us. And they invaded the United States and they turned Washington DC into a landfill and a sewage dump and they held mass burnings of every American flag. How would you feel if that really happened? That's how the author feels in this psalm. Imagine for a minute at work, your, your boss allows the KKK to come in on company time and burn crosses and make racial slurs. How would you feel? That's what the psalmist felt in Psalm 79. To put it in more of a personal context, to imagine that you just go to the store this morning and you, you fill your refrigerator full of food and this afternoon somebody sneaks in your house and puts a dead animal in your fridge. How would you feel? That's how the psalmist felt. Or to put it in a scholarly context, imagine watching your favorite library burn to the ground. That's how he felt. And so instead of hiding the pain, he gets very honest with God in prayer. The very first words of the psalm is he says, oh God, and he begins to share with God all that happened. Here's the question. Did God know already what happened? Yes or no? Yeah, God knew what happened. But there was something where, where God was inviting him by his spirit to just tell him what was on his heart. And so my question this morning as we begin the message is, how long has it been since you truly opened up with God and took an honest assessment of your pain in prayer? How long has it been since you, you told God about how unfair you feel it is that your savings is depleted? How, God, how long has it been since you told God how unfair it is that your health is in the situation that it's in? How long has it been since you, you told the Lord about the burdens and the anger that you have towards some family member or some friend? You say, Pastor Matt, is it okay for me to really talk that way? Absolutely it is. Because that's when we truly begin to pray. Number one, take an honest assessment of your pain. Number two, what else can we do? 
when we feel that life isn't fair? Well, we can ask God to repair what's broken around you. Number two, ask God to repair what's broken around you. So after he tells God what he's feeling, what he's thinking, the author of Psalm 79, he looks around and he sees injustice everywhere, right? To him, it seemed as though right was being rewarded, right was being punished and wrong was being rewarded. Look what he says in verse five. He says, how long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. Now it's important to understand that the author of Psalm 79 didn't think his people were perfect. He wasn't assuming that they didn't deserve any discipline from God. We're gonna see that in a minute. He acknowledges their idolatry. He acknowledges their sin. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, you find that the people of Judah were involved in sin and idolatry and, and God had to get their attention. He doesn't deny that. But what seems unfair to him is that God would use a pagan nation to judge or discipline his people. That just didn't seem fair. It's almost like he feels that restraint has been thrown to the wind and evil has a free pass. And he just doesn't understand why God's not doing something. And so he says in verse five, how long, Lord? This question is seen throughout the Bible where the people of God continually ask how long God's gonna let something take place. Revelation chapter six. In Revelation chapter six, depending on your interpretation of the book of Revelation, it seems that the martyrs, those who have been martyred for their faith, pray in heaven. They ask the Lord in person in heaven, how long before you avenge our blood? Revelation chapter six. When Christians read the news or we watch the news, this is the question that should come to our hearts. How long, Lord, are you gonna let this take place? Notice verse 11 and 12, same kind of thing. May the groans of the prisoners come before you with your strong arm, preserve those condemned to die. Pay back into the laps of our neighbors seven times the contempt they have hurled at you, Lord. Verse four and verse 12 mirror each other. In verse four, he says that these, these nations, these neighbors were heaping contempt on Judah. And so he asks God to flip it in verse 12. He says, Lord, they're bringing contempt and judgment on us. Literally flip it, turn it on their heads. Help them to feel your judgment. Last summer, we talked through Psalm 94 and if you have questions more about this, I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon or watch the message from July 1st, 2018. But the question came up, is it okay for us to pray God's judgment on other people? Is it okay for us to pray? I'm not talking about just being angry in the moment and saying something we regret. Is it okay for us to kneel and pray that God would judge our enemies or his enemies? Well, as I said in much more detail last summer, Psalm 94 gives us a description of what that looks like. Psalm 10 and verse 15, the, the writers ask God to break the arm of the wicked man. And Psalm 21, 12, the writers said, told God, aim at their faces with your bows. And Psalm 58 and verse six, the psalmist prayed, Lord, break out their teeth. And there's others that we won't even read. 
So is it okay for us to pray? How do we reconcile that with what Jesus says in the New Testament to love your enemies and pray for those who misuse you and despitefully, what are we, what are we to do with that? The way I reconcile it is this. Until we're willing to get honest with our pain in prayer, we can't truly love like Jesus said to love. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes what we do is we pretend like there's really no pain. We pretend like there really are, everything's okay on the outside and we just suppress it, we push it down. And we're like, well, everything's fine, that person really didn't hurt me, and we just suppress it. And what God is saying is this, you're never gonna truly be able to experience Christ-like love until you're willing to have Christ-like honesty. And Christ-like honesty in prayer, according to the psalmist, is God, this stinks. This person hurt me. God, this is bad. It is right, it is holy for we, the people of God, to pray against the killing of innocent children and the judgment on a system that would do that. It is right and holy for us to pray that way. It is right and holy for us to pray against sexism and racism and ageism and the abuse of women. It is right for us to pray and to preach against the discrimination against women and discrimination against minorities and against the system that would insulate urban poverty. It's right for us to pray for and with disadvantaged groups. It's right for us to pray against the neglect of the disabled, against corruption and political injustice against the lack of education and sexual slavery and human trafficking and the denial of human rights. I believe when we read Psalm 79, God wants us to pray with some anger. God, the world isn't right. And it is okay for us to pray that way. There's this burning in our soul if the Holy Spirit lives within us where God is holy and God is just and he calls us and invites us to pray these prayers, to, to articulate these thoughts because he wants to repair what's broken around us. Jesus prayed this way. He said, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. That wasn't a prayer for doilies or cross stitch on your wall okay if it's there. It was actually a prayer of judgment. When Jesus said, may your kingdom come, if you read Revelation, when God's kingdom comes, judgment will fall on the enemies of Christ. And so he invites us to pray that. It's okay to pray this way. Number three, what do we do when life doesn't seem fair? Ask God to forgive and restore what's broken in you. We've talked a moment about praying for restoration for what's broken around you. But what if we start to pray also for what's broken in us? This is, this is where it gets comfortable. This is where the amens tend to die down. Verses eight and nine, notice what the psalmist prayed. He said, do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us for we are in desperate need. He doesn't say just the world is in desperate need. We are in desperate need. Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. The author was wise to see the sin in his own heart. 
It wasn't just the problem with the world out there, which, which I would argue that in the last 40 years or so, we've done a good job as Christians pointing out all the problems out there. But how good of a job have we done pointing out the problems in here? Does that mean that every time we go through hardship, that God is somehow punishing us or disciplining us for our sin? Absolutely not. We're gonna preach at some point on the book of Job about how that God allows bad things or hard things to happen to his people, good people, godly people, for reasons that only he knows. It makes us stronger. It, it gives us more of a witness in the world. There's a lot of reasons. But I'll ask you this. Is there ever a time when you don't need to be drawn closer to Christ? I'll never, by God's grace, come to your hospital bed or never, by God's grace, come to you when you're down or you're sick or when you're depressed and discouraged and tell you that somehow you must have hidden sin in your life and that's why God is doing this. I'll never do that. I don't want you to do that to me. Somebody comes in my house, if I'm suffering and they tell me this must be because of God's judgment on your life, if they leave the house, it's probably gonna be because I throw them out the front door. But, but let's be honest with one another. Is there ever a time when we can't learn something from our suffering? It, would it not be healthy for us to pray verses eight and nine often, if not daily? Lord, do not hold against us the sins of past generations. Forgive our sins, deliver us for your name's sake. If you're going through a hard time today, what is God trying to teach you? Even if it's not a direct discipline for some sin that you've committed, what could the Lord teach you through your suffering? Maybe God will make you more loving through your suffering. Maybe God will make you more joyful through your suffering. Maybe he'll make you more peaceful through your suffering or, or more patient through your suffering. He'll make you more kind through your suffering or, or good or, or disciplined or self-controlled, whatever it is. God can use suffering to make us and change us into the image of Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you, you've never put your faith in Jesus, I, my prayer for you is, is not just that you'll do an inventory of your sin, but that you'll turn to your savior, Jesus Christ, who can wash all your sin away, past, present, and future. I'm preaching mostly to Christians this morning, but I don't wanna leave you out. If you've never put your faith in Jesus and you have a relationship with Christ, this morning can be the day when you begin that journey with the Lord. You see, I love this passage. You see Jesus in every psalm, if you look hard enough. Think about it for a minute. In this psalm, you have a group of guilty people, Psalm 79, they're guilty, they're not innocent, guilty people in Jerusalem who are taken captive and they shed their blood. Guilty people in Jerusalem, taken captive and shed their blood. Well, this morning, I wanna tell you about somebody who was innocent in Jerusalem who was taken captive and shed his blood. And his name is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that whoever, whoever believes on him, gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus took your captivity so you could have his freedom. Jesus took your judgment so you could have everlasting life. He rose from the grave. He lives and brought you to church this morning to hear the good news. Right there where you sit, choose Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna hang out down front this morning. I don't typically hang around in the front, but I'm gonna hang around down front this morning. 
If you want to put your faith in Christ or you say, hey, what's the next step? I want to follow Jesus. What's the next step? Come see me. I'd love to pray with you. And we can talk about that together. But Christian, God invites us to pray for his forgiveness and restoration in all the areas where we're broken. What else can we do when life doesn't seem fair? Number four, look for ways to glorify God in your pain. Look for ways to glorify God in your pain. Verses nine and 10. Notice what the writer says. I I love this. Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you have You avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. Notice his motivation. When he felt that life wasn't fair, when he felt that things weren't going according to the just plan of God, he wasn't so much concerned about his reputation, but he was concerned about the glory of God and God's reputation, first of all, among the nations. At that particular time in world history, it was thought that whoever won the battle God or the gods were on their side. And so this bothered him. He's like, look, I don't want the nations thinking that their idols, their dead gods are really in charge because they're not. But it also bothered him that the people, the people who were left alive, the people who were taken captivity into Babylon, the, the small remnant that was left in Jerusalem, they also needed a fresh perspective of the glory of God. And so his motivation was for the sake of God, It's always a good idea when we're going through suffering to pray, Lord, how can you use this for your glory in my life and in the people's lives around us? Some of you remember a dear lady named Lou Price. Lou Price was a member of Bible Center Church, attended for a number of years. When I was here as a youth pastor, Lou and her husband were faithful to attend and Lou got cancer. And so I didn't hear the full story until just a few weeks ago. Bob Jones, sitting back here with one of our members, one of our deacons, was telling me about it. Bob said that evidently Lou recommended an article to him when Bob was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And it's it's entitled, Don't Waste Your Cancer, by Dr. John Piper. He was going in for, for surgery, and in one sitting, he actually wrote this book, all that was in his heart the night before he went into surgery. It's a relatively small book. I think you can get it for two or three bucks on Amazon. But Bob was telling me about it. So I picked up the book, and I want to recommend it to you. I've never had cancer. And one day, if somebody close and dear to me and who's in my family struggles with cancer, I'm going to need you to love me and support me and encourage me, just like people love and support and encourage you. But Bob told me, you've got to get this book. You've got to read this article. So I want to encourage you to do the same. What's it look like for us in our pain to say, Lord, how can I glorify you in my cancer? Bob, you do that, brother. You do that in every possible way, trying to share what God is doing in your life, the joy of the Lord, no matter what you may be feeling that day. Look for ways to glorify God in your pain. Number five, and lastly, what do we do when life doesn't seem fair? Look forward to the day when there will be no pain. This is my favorite. Look forward to the day when there will be no pain. The psalm ends with verse 13. It's a a word of hope. 
it's almost like it's just stuck on the end. It's this, not an afterthought, but it's like a climax. It's the pinnacle of the psalm. He says in verse 13, then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. Yes, God disciplines his children. Yes, God teaches us lessons through life's hardship. Yes, life is hard, but I love how he ends it. The emphasis here being on the word forever. Forever, there's coming a day that forever and ever, for generation and generation, we could translate that millions of years and millions of years, we are going to praise the Lord without pain, without injustice, and without hardship. Think about Romans 8, 18. In the message, it reads like this. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and it can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. Sounds a lot like Revelation chapter 20, where John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will. This isn't maybe. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm told by people like my parents and many of you who've gone through hardship that there are days when the only thing that gets you through is to remember that there's coming of day where there'll be no more pain and you no longer need to pray every second for God to get you through. You're wondering what I'm doing with the basket. Here at the top of the basket, I've got a piece of tape. It's on a rope. This little piece of tape, I picked it up at Home Depot last night, three bucks for this little piece of tape. This tape represents your life and my life. Maybe your life is 40 years old. Maybe your life is 80 years old. Maybe your life is 100 years old or 103 years old. How old you get to live? This tape represents your life. All the hardship that you've ever experienced happens right here inside this little strip of tape. All the burdens, all the, all the illness, all the pain, all the lonely nights, all the crying yourself to sleep, it happens right here. And if you're like me, it's literally easy to think all that, just that's all that's ever going to be. But this rope represents eternity. And so, yes, life is hard. Some of you are really, really going through it this morning. But I want to encourage you, don't think of this as the end, but just think of this as the beginning. Because if this rope represents eternity, there's a whole lot left that you can never imagine. There's a whole lot of joy. There's a whole lot of time with Christ. There's an eternity with loved ones and friends and family. Jesus said in John 14, 1, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'm going to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you be also. We remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters, restores my soul. I love that verse. For the, Though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And then he goes on to say, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
there's a lot left rope and I'm not gonna pull it all out. There's actually a football length, 300 feet almost of uh, rope in here. Pretend like the rope goes on forever. The point is this, when you feel as though life isn't fair, take an honest assessment of your pain. Get honest, don't pretend like it doesn't exist. But ask the Lord to fix what is broken around you. It's okay to pray for healing. It's okay to pray for God to set the world right. But in the process, let's remember to ask God to fix what's broken in us. And let's look forward to the day for his glory when God will remove all pain and that little red strip we call life will be a thing in the past and we'll be with Jesus. Once again, Thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.